trust is very important for a bank. It's the uh, greatest asset a bank can possess, in my opinion. Um, and in order to engender that trust, you really have to, well, for Starling particularly, you really have to have trust its technology. Uh, we're an online-only bank. We have no high street presence, no physical presence. Uh, so we do, you know, all our banking entirely over the mobile phone, entirely through the uh, the web browser. So you really need to trust the software behind the bank. Welcome to The Entrepreneur Project, stories of innovation and scale. Each episode, we're diving into conversation with entrepreneurs, innovators, and business leaders who will share insight into growing high-impact organizations. How we look after our money is changing. I can clearly remember the last time I visited a bank when I needed to replace my online banking key about six months ago. With technology never more than an arm's reach away, the bank of the future isn't on the high street. It's in our pocket. Jason Maud is your warm welcome into the future of banking. As the chief technology advocate at Starling Bank, Jason talks with people every day about the tech that makes Starling work. Starling Bank is an award-winning and fully licensed bank built to give people a fairer, smarter, and more human alternative to the banks of the past. Starling's world-class tech reimagines banking for life today, putting the tools people need to feel good about their money in the palm of their hand. Jason joins us today to talk about the impact of tech and digitalization on how we deal with our money. What does the future of banking look like? And how should entrepreneurs prepare for that future? We're here at Startup Summit 2019, and I'm sitting here with Jason Maud from Starling Bank. How are you getting on, Jason? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good, very well. Thanks, very well. So you're on a little bit later on the stage here at Startup Summit. Absolutely. Uh, Can you tell me quickly, what is your role at Starling? What do you do there? So my role is Chief Technology Advocate, and what that involves is going around to the outside world and talking about the technology behind Starling Bank. Uh, trust is very important for a bank. It's the uh, greatest asset a bank can possess, in my opinion. Um, and in order to engender that trust, you really have to, well, for Starling particularly, you really have to have trust its technology. Uh, we're an online-only bank. We have no high street presence, no physical presence. Uh, so we do you know, all our banking entirely over the mobile phone, entirely through the, uh, the web browser. So you really need to trust the software behind the bank in yes. order to trust the bank itself. Yeah, yeah. What have you found to be the biggest objections to that so far? What, what do people mistrust exactly? I don't know, and they don't know. It's really interesting. It's okay. really fascinating talking to people about yeah. um, what uh, what they don't trust about the bank. Now, obviously, there are some people who don't use smartphones very often. Yeah. They don't do things online. Yeah. Um, they just want to do things face-to-face, and that's fine. But there are a lot of people who will essentially have two bank accounts. They'll have their high street bank account, in mm-hmm. which they pay their salary in, Mm-hmm. And they, uh, you know, pay a few important bills such as their mortgage out, and then they'll transfer an amount of money to uh, an online bank such as Starling Bank mm-hmm. to do all their spending with, and that's because while they trust the online bank with their data, 
because the online, you know, Starling Bank, for example, gives them excellent access to their data, uh, gives them uh, many different views of their data, gives them the ability to slice and dice and see their spending in an aggregated fashion or divide their money up into various pots or do all sorts of things that allow them to control their data. Mm. They still have that, you know, that trust of money still exists in the... uh, in the um, you know with the high street banks and this is yeah. even though Starling Bank is a fully regulated bank you have exactly the same protections yeah. with your uh, deposits as you do with uh, you know a high street bank yeah. um, people still have that and and I've asked them why and they yeah. can't explain it they can't yeah. fully explain they just like well that's how things are yeah and i think this is just because people are naturally inherently conservative with their money yes and they just have that there's that inherent um you know inherent fear at the back of their heads that they can't quite fully explain that their money's going to disappear it's got to be one of the hardest places to change people's behavior absolutely you know and i think it's just a case of making it clear that Starling is a bank. Yeah. It's a yeah. full bank like yeah. any other. It's not different. It's yeah. just, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and the question I often ask people is, when was the last time you actually went into a branch? <laughs> yeah. You actually approached a branch and, you know, um, and, and said to them, you know, I, I need to interact with a human being face-to-face. Yeah. Many yeah. people really don't. How long do you think it'll be before it is considered much more mainstream more normal like how long do you think till 50 percent of people have a bank with a bank like yourselves oh i'm I'm sure it'll or that's our primary i should say sure okay so that's slightly longer i'm sure it won't be long before you know 50 percent of the populace have some form of online bank or online money app yeah i think that um the trust in the you know how long it's going to take before there are 50 percent of the population have their money you know, their, their main bank account, main yeah. current account yeah. is an online bank, will take longer. <laughs> and I think a lot of that will be, you know, the need to uh, increase trust and will also go through a few cycles of failure mm-hmm. where a lot of the, you know, online e-money providers and so on uh, will will have to, you know, will have to fail, collapse, be replaced yes. and so on. They'll need to be that sort of churn yeah. before people really trust Yes. Uh, the the online banks. Yeah, yeah. So you joined Starling back when there was a team of just 60 or so people, is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah, I was employee 60-something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how many are there now? Uh, it's around 700 and something, right. you know, or maybe approaching 800. I, you know, I lose yeah, track yeah. because we grow so quickly. So more than a tenfold growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And how long was that over? That's over three years. Three years. Yeah, so, so. yeah, I joined about... Um, uh, six six seven months before we launched mm-hmm. um and then we you know launched out into the uh, the the public domain yeah, yeah. Uh, in may 2017 so already 60 staff at minimum before the product was Ab- even live a- absolutely i mean it's it's very difficult to produce a bank yes. on the cheap you know there, there are a lot of regulations in place that say that you need a minimum amount of money and so on and a minimum amount yeah. of functionality before you can get a banking license yeah so um it's it's slightly different you know if you're an e-money provider and you mm-hmm. have an e-money license that's slightly less stringent but if you want to be a full bank mm-hmm. um the while the you know the government has provided a a path to that that is less uh, that is easier to move along than before mm-hmm. to get to the top of that path to the summit of having a full banking license 
the regulations are still as stringent as before and you still need to go through uh, lots of different tests and paperwork and regulation yes. have a minimum amount of money available oh, in I'm order sure. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you came on uh, employee 60 something. Yeah. You were an engineer at the time. Yes. Right? And the first thing I was asked to do as an engineer was, you know, I was told we don't have a direct debit system. Mm-hmm. Could you create one? please? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not a small job. I'd no, I, well, <laughs> it turns out to be, you know, less, less of a hassle than you would oh, think, really? you know, okay. yeah, it yeah. took, but, you know, it's one of these things where in order to deliver the minimum viable product for that, it took like two or three months. Yeah. But in order to actually, you know, perfect it, took, you know, many, many iterations. And we're still, you know, to this day finding odd situations and odd unusual things that we yeah. have to correct yeah. and change. Yeah. How big was the engineering team amongst that 60 at the time? Uh, the engineering team was probably about... a. Fifteen to twenty, yeah, something okay. like that. It was, so you know, it was reasonably yeah. substantial, and yeah. and the um, the engineering team as a as in the bank as a whole is now about a hundred. Right. So as a proportion, it's slightly less, yes. but it's still a very big department. Yeah, absolutely. you know, the second biggest discipline behind operations. Yeah. yeah. Presumably, at the time, then that engineering team was relatively new. They won't have been working together for that long a time. Yeah. How did you find? integrating into that what were there a lot of processes in place already was the the working culture in place like what what did the team look like at that time so um there weren't a lot of you know processes in place or anything like that Mm -hmm. we were discovering things as we uh, as we went along what we did have was a set of principles a set of engineering principles which were formulated by the experiences of the the senior engineers and the engineering leadership that we had Mm -hmm. at the bank Um, who said, we want to do engineering in this way. We want to do engineering in a very agile manner and not just make that engineering in an agile manner just the function of the engineering department and then have the rest of the bank work in a very traditional project planning Gantt charty manner. But we want to spread that across the entire uh, organisation. So we had a very engineering-led, agile-based culture across the entire organization and i think that's really helped us and that's one thing that we have kept throughout our um you know stratospheric growth is that idea that um we don't do things in a you know project basis we do things on an agile basis which makes us much more flexible yeah uh, Yeah. much more able to react and respond to opportunities and initiatives that are out there much more willing to try things out yeah yeah did that Going from 60 to 700 or so, did that change much? Were you able to maintain that same structure, that same agile basis, right through to where you are just now? Are you still working in that way? Um, Yes, I think we are. I think one of the challenges we faced is basically onboarding people into that culture. Sure. So when we uh, started, obviously it was fairly easy to communicate, um, you know, the, to people that the engineering department is in charge of the timescales and the yeah. timelines of what's yeah. happening, yeah. Um, uh, which isn't true at most other large organisations. The engineering department is handed their timescales and told work to this, right. okay. um, which is promotes you know, has a lot of other problems with it. Um, but we, you know, at Starling Bank, the engineering department can go, yeah, absolutely, we can do that, and we can achieve that, but you know. 
the, the actual when we can achieve it by and in which order we achieve things is left up to the engineering department. Right. And it's basically the challenges onboarding people um, both into the engineering department and into other departments and saying to them, this is how we do things. You know, this is, this is how things operate here. You won't just be able to, you know, come along and order the engineering department to do a thing. <laughs> yes. You know, you'll have to, you know, work with them to deliver this. Yep. And the other thing is there isn't this separation where the sort of, the, you know, the rest of the business comes along and says, we want this thing done. We'll write a document that tells you how it's done and hand it to you and you'll deliver it. Yeah. You know, it's very much more, a, you know, a collaborative you know, let's get together, sit down, work out how we are going to deliver this thing yeah. that needs to be delivered and yeah. deliver it together mm. in tandem. Yeah. And we often find that people who can get on board with that idea flourish at Snarling and those who can't don't remain at Snarling for very long. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular way of trying to instill that in people or is it more about selecting people that already have that in them? So we've had to... Uh, we've had to try and develop a more formalized way of, you know, communicating yes. that out and so on. You yeah, know, we, yeah. um, we originally, originally it was just by osmosis and, and by a little bit by the interview process, but mostly by osmosis of, you know, this is how things operate here. Are you willing to operate in this way? Mm-hmm. Um, now we're having very much more to concentrate on training on disseminating that information more formally especially since that we're in the position of um especially since we're in the position of we have to uh onboard people who are not in the london office anymore you know we're not just a single office concern yes so we have to make sure that 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 culture is disseminated out to Southampton to Cardiff to you know to Dublin to everywhere basically. Are you still all physical office based, or do you have remote employees? Uh, we have a few remote employees, but most of the remote employees we have, in fact, all of the remote employees we have, are people who have worked uh, for Starling in the office, yeah. and then yeah. said, you know what, I want to you know move away, move somewhere else, yes. and we went, well, actually, we really like you, we want to retain you know retain you, so we'll because you know what the culture is like, we'll allow you to work from elsewhere yeah but they it's because they've been in the office and they've had that yes you know they've started with that induction right yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely okay i mean that's obviously it's a pretty huge change from where you started to what you're doing now in terms of our role yeah i suppose did you have any um good sort of mentors or or people you looked up with up to along the way that helped you along that transition who um, so not particularly. Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the things we could have done better is is that mentorship yeah, yeah. thing. Um, uh, I found my new role basically by partly by stumbling into it, partly because sure. I'd also done a lot of this, uh, you know, this sort of talking about things, uh, talking about things as yeah. a, you know as a <laughs> discipline a <laughs> uh, before in a sort of you know uh, amateur manner. Yeah. Um, so that that really helped, uh, yeah. I, but I didn't have anyone who was able to come in and say, you know, this is how yeah. this operates. This is how you should what you should look to how you should look to grow and so yeah. on. And yeah. I think uh, one of the things that uh, one of the pitfalls we did fall into is not having that um, mentorship scheme in place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we allowed people to change, and indeed, in some cases, encouraged people to change, yeah. um, and said you're in this discipline but we really need you to be in that discipline yeah yeah uh, 
but we didn't have the support there to help them move across. Right. Because that, okay. that sort of transition can be a, a big thing and it can be really a, you know, a stressful process for someone who's, you know, whose identity is, well, no, I am a, an engineer or someone who is in you know, customer service or payment yeah. operations or this. And, yeah. and the organization needs them to move. Yes. And you know, they really need to be helped along. Yeah. And that, yeah. by the way, at Starling isn't just the junior employees who are just finding out about how they're, you know, what what they like and what their skill set is. This is also the, you know, up to the executive level yeah. where, you know, people are in one area and you know, it turns out that they're not best placed in that area or they have a particular role that actually they can't do anymore because the organization's grown so big so they need to hand that over and focus on their other role and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, yeah. I presume that that ties into how you measure success, which is something I'm interested in. How do you, how do you measure success in Starling in terms of even from the, the individual employees right up to the, the company as a whole? Sure. So success we measure in terms of customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has a number of different aspects. There's the obvious one, which is how many customers do we have? Yes. How fast are we growing? And yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. How, you know, are customers choosing to trust us with their money and depositing money with us? So that's definitely one facet of it. But then there's other facets of it as well, which is just, you know, qualitatively, how, you know, are we getting good feedback from customers across social media and through, uh, you know, through the app and so yeah. on and that sort of thing? Um, so everything is really focused on that. So when, you know, we don't have individual success metrics for an employee, okay. you know, yeah. and that sort of thing. It's more about how is that employee uh, supporting the, the, the customers? Are they doing a good job at that? Are they, you know, promoting that? So we, we tend to measure success in the organization as a whole, uh, which is are we serving our customers and are, you know, do we have that trust? Is yeah. that trust there yes. um, from our customers? Yeah, yeah. Do you have an example of uh, the opposite of that? Any time along the last few years when a feature, a project, anything like that went wrong and something you learned from it? So, we do have... I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of a specific example from, uh, from Starling. I mean, we have a, there are a number of examples of where challenger banks in general have offered a particular service or feature uh, and then taken it away. Okay. Yeah. You know, that, that can be a, a, a problem when you offer a particular thing and then remove it. Yes. You know, people are like, I don't really like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, another, another one which is difficult is when um, you have to close or freeze someone's bank account temporarily yeah. because you suspect them of fraud. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, challenge banks often get accused of n- not caring about fraud. Mm. And we really do. We really have a, you know, a large fraud team whose job it is to you know, seek out fraud and make yeah. sure that fraudulent accounts and fraudulent payments are closed down. Um, one of the downsides of making it really easy to open uh, a bank account, which we have, is mm. you make it really easy to open a bank account for fraudsters yes, as well. Um, yeah. So you have to, you know, you sometimes have to close down or freeze a bank account. And yeah. people can get really angry, yes. you know, sure. if you've frozen <laughs> their bank account in error. And obviously, yeah. you, you know, you're going to have some false positives. Yeah. Uh, pr- the problem there is that, you know, we do that and other challenge banks do that. And yeah. 
you get a lot of people getting really angry and saying, well, why have you frozen my bank account? And the answer is, we can't tell you. Yeah. you know, legally speaking, we cannot tell you. We're not allowed to tell you why we've done that because the law says we cannot tip off fraudsters. Um, so that that is a, you know, learning how to do that and learning how to be, you know, reduce that false positive rate right down has been a big learning and yeah. so on. Yeah. Um, in terms of those, the, the first one you mentioned there around features that mm-hmm. come in and go away again. Yeah. Um, has Starling done that in particular? Or So I'm trying to think of a feature that we've... I don't think we've offered a feature and yeah. then taken it away again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've oftentimes... Sometimes like we've offered a feature and then... But with caveats and people yes. haven't noticed the caveats. So for example, for a while we offered um, business bank accounts, but only to those businesses with uh, a single director yeah, yeah. so we got people com- coming on and complaining you know well you're you know why can't i open my business bank account yeah. we're going well because you've got multiple directors i'm afraid right. you know yeah. and we don't yeah. offer that yet so that. sometimes offering a minimum viable product you offer something that is too minimum yes. as it were for the public the, you yeah. know, the public think it should be have more features than it actually does yeah. you know and then how do you think then about features that you do want to release is that is that customer based is that uh, based on internal research how do you go about deciding what to put into production well ultimately speaking everything has to be an experiment you can do the you can do as much you know customer research and asking people um what they want as you like but really the acid test is are people actually using it yes um so you know as henry ford famously did not say um, if I'd asked people what they wanted, uh, they would have said a faster horse. Yes. Um, uh, you know, it's that sort of you going to people and saying to them, what do you want? Doesn't yeah. really work. You have to present them with something and then say, do you like this? So a lot of it is developing a minimum viable product and then seeing if it works. And if it does work, then going, great, we'll iterate over that. Now, at the start, that was easy, right? Because what do people want? They want a bank account that does all the standard things that a bank account can do for them, but they want it presented in a a great manner, and they want it it to be easy to open that bank account. Yes. Fantastic. But then, you know, more innovative features are more difficult. Um, And there you really have to look not at what the customers want in terms of the solution, but what problems they have. You know, what is the problem that they're experiencing? Yeah. So a great one is card freezing, for example. Okay. So yeah. a problem that customers had with their old bank account is if they lost their card or thought they'd lost their card, they would have to scramble around in their desk drawer for the magic number that they had to call yes. to cancel their card, phone up the, uh, the bank, go through the menu, you know, press one for this, press two for that, to get through to the card cancellation part, cancel their card, and then they would be cut off from their bank account yeah. for, you know, however many working weeks <laughs> while a new card got sent to them. And then they would find the card down the back of the sofa, but by that point it's too late. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's, you know, that's an obvious problem with the way that people interact with their bank account. Mm-hmm. So Starling's solution to that is why not be able to freeze your card? So be able to turn your card off, you know, for, for making payments so that it doesn't work. But then 
when you find it again you can unlock it yeah and you know that's that's a real easy solution because it means that you don't actually have to cancel your card until you're sure you've lost it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and uh, you know that makes it much easier to interact with your day-to-day finances yeah, yeah have have many of those predictions that you've made those minimum viable products mm-hmm. not been uh, received very well or you know you've not actually released them sure wide, so more widely. Uh, no so we've i mean we've released things and then just not put a lot of effort into working them, with mm. them because th- either there isn't a huge amount of take up or not a huge amount of demand mm. for it um so uh you know we've we've developed things and then gone oh that's as much as needs to be done basically uh some things we have so we you know developed for example uh, savings pots, mm. so the ability to divide up your account into different yeah, savings pots, and then gone, um, and then gone. Uh, people started asking, "Well, can we automatically put money into savings pots when we spend? Mm. So we automatically save." And after a lot of asking for that, we did put that in. Yeah, so that's so one example of where a, a solution was presented by the public, and we eventually went, "Yes." Yeah, yeah. I I actually don't think we do enough failure at Starling mm. Bank. I think that's another lesson that we have to learn is that we don't do enough experiments where we go, you know what, that just didn't work. So we really need to put more effort into failing, as yeah, it were. You yeah. know, doing things that fail and going, oh, okay, what can we learn from that? Yeah, you know. yeah. So I can't have a podcaster on the podcast and not ask how the podcast is going. Is that, uh, what, what was the thinking behind starting that around the brand? Sure, so we... Um, we, I, again, it's it's the same sort of idea as I talked about with my role right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Like, we really wanted to pull back the curtain on how we develop uh, the you know the software behind the bank and sure. how we how we produce that, um, because a lot of the you know a lot of time people out in the wider world you know will be told oh there's an IT failure or oh you know the computer is broken or oh no we've got a system problem yeah and they won't really know what that means or why that's there and it'll just be frustrating that you know oh due to a system fault what does that mean yes you know and people really want to know so we thought you know let's pull back the curtain and reveal how we develop internally mm-hmm. um so we've you know we do this you know um, on a semi-regular basis, we will sit down and you know record a batch of six episodes about how the bank is doing, and we've recorded four four batches now of those episodes, basically talking through you know various different um, technical topics, you know things like how we manage to how we configure the software to uh, ensure that payments go through and don't get double paid, but yeah, yeah. make sure they do get paid. How our security has evolved. And that sort of thing, even down to topics such as which software languages do we choose. Mm. Now, although this has a particularly technical bent and is talking about that, you know, how we built the bank um, in a software manner, we do also, you know, talk about it in a way that is understandable for people who are, you know, yeah. not strictly technical. We did we did an episode on GDPR, for example, oh, right. you yeah. know, yeah. and talked about the, you know, what that means and what the uh, yeah. uh, the the thinking is behind that. So, who's ended up listening to it then? Is it is it other developers or is it customers or oh, a lot of people? You know, a lot of developers listen to it, mm. um, and in fact, we get um, many people coming in for interviews at Starling Bank for the engineering department saying oh yes i listen to the podcast yeah. you know in order to learn about da, 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 so it's a recruitment tool yeah yeah absolutely else, yeah. i mean you know that's it's a very good recruitment tool yeah. and i would 
I, I would strongly suggest it as, you know, if you want a recruitment tool, yeah. uh, you know, then do do go and produce a podcast. It's yeah. a great way to get people. I suppose to it listen. shows the culture behind part of the team, your approach, Absolutely. your process you know, all Yeah, that. indeed. Yeah. And it can be a great, uh, a great advertisement for working for the bank. Yeah, yeah. yeah, perfect. Um, so it's a lot of those. Other people as well have listened to it and so on to get an idea of what it is we do. You know. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Jason. It's no been problem. a pleasure to thank talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. No worries at all. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. The Entrepreneur Project is brought to you by FutureX and the podcast host. You can get more information about FutureX at futurexinnovation.com. And if you want to launch your own podcast, check out the full guide at thepodcasthost.com forward slash start. Or feel free to try out the podcast maker app, alitu.com. That's A-L-I-T-U dot com. Graphics are by Laurie Davidson and the show is edited and produced by The Podcast Host. <laughs>